your Bible open it. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. I think it helps so much to, uh, to have the text in front of you uh, to follow along as we, as we study together. This month, we are focusing our studies in the Gospel of Luke, his account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And each week this month, we are, we are looking at one of four songs that uh, Luke has included in his account of Christ's birth. And uh, we'll not only each week look at a, one song, we will also look at the story that is the background and uh, connected with each song. Last week, we started where Luke starts. In Luke chapter 1, he begins with the account of the birth of John, who becomes John the Baptist, and with his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we looked at their story last week, and today we pick up again in chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, with... Um, with the account of Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus. And so uh, follow along. Um, Actually, before I read, let me just say that um, we noted last week that as, um, as we read the account of the incarnation of God becoming man, God the Son taking on humanity, as we read here in the gospel of, that, uh, of, of the incarnation, what we discover is that God is working this extraordinary event, but he works it among very ordinary people. And I imagine that many of us here this morning, whether you're here in this room or at home, I imagine that many of us this morning feel inadequate, at least some of the time, if not all the time. We don't feel we measure up. You feel like the scrawny tree on the tree lot. You feel like the dim bulb on the, on the tree. You feel like a chicken trying to fly with eagles. If you're like me, you feel that way a lot. And sometimes it's easy to believe that, you know, God really can't do anything with someone like me. Nothing that really matters. Well, this morning we're going to learn some keys to becoming someone whom God can use greatly. Again, our story opens here in verse 26. Follow along as I read a couple of verses. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In the sixth month, it's not talking about the sixth month of the year, but rather it's taking us back to our story from last month, or last week, excuse me, because uh, actually we've, we uh, skipped over these verses last week to take all of Zechariah and Elizabeth in one, one sitting, and now we're going back uh, a few verses to pick up this story, and it's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And uh, she's pregnant with who's going to be John the Baptist. And so we stayed in last week all the way up till John's birth. But we're backing the clock up a little bit, backing up in the verses to 
three months before he is born, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And Gabriel, the same angel who he saw last week speak with Zechariah about to announce this, the miraculous birth in their old age of prophet John, now this same angel we discover is sent by God to visit Mary. And we learn a few important facts about Mary. I won't elaborate, but just uh, we could. But she lives in Nazareth. She is a virgin. She's engaged to Joseph, and Joseph is a descendant of King David. Verse 28, continuing. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I'm sure Gabriel's appearance there to her must have greatly startled and frightened Mary. I know he frightened her a bit because he says, don't be afraid. But, uh, and we don't know, did he appear as an angel or did he appear as a man? It does say that he came to her, and that word is translated literally, came in. And so she's in a room, probably in her house, and this man shows up, or an angel. Now that would be quite disturbing to most of you. But what's interesting is she is most concerned and most troubled, our text tells us, by not his presence there, but his words, what he says. Two statements he makes, O favored one, and the Lord is with you. Her mind is racing, trying to sort out what these things mean, and Gabriel continues. He goes on, he says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favored one, you are it's favored one. You are uniquely graced. You are uniquely blessed. You are uniquely honored, favored. The Lord is with you. God has special interest in you. You have found favor with God. These words were troubling to Mary as they might be to us. Imagine an angel appears and says, God has been paying attention to you. That might get your attention. Hmm, a little cause for concern. But he says, you found favor with God. Interesting, he doesn't say, you were randomly selected. We ran a little lottery in heaven and your name came up. It's not that at all. He says, you have been noticed, you've been chosen, you've been singled out by the sovereign Lord God of the universe. That would grab your attention, wouldn't it? This is huge. I'm sure Mary couldn't imagine any way in which she could be special. If we try to put ourselves in her sandals, Mary, you see, is a woman. And women in that culture, in that time, didn't have a very high status. More than that, she is young. She's betrothed. She's engaged to be married. 
And Jewish girls married quite young, usually between 12 and 14 or 15 years old. And so she is young, again, low status in the community. We'll see in a couple of weeks, in two weeks, we'll see that both she and her betrothed husband, Joseph, are very poor. Again, really low status. She's Jewish, looked down on by the Romans, and, and um, there's a lot of Romans around where she lives. But she's also looked down by, on by many Jews. You see, they, she lives in the region we just read of Galilee. That's up in the north of Israel. The Judean Jews who live in the south, they look down on these Jews in the north because that's where a lot of Gentiles live. There's Gentile cities and a lot of Gentiles and a lot of these, the Jews up there, they become kind of as much Gentile as they have uh, Jewish and they're not as sophisticated as we are and blah, blah, blah. And so she's looked down on by just about everybody. She's looked down on by Jews and Romans. She's looked down on because she's poor, because she's young and she's a woman. And so when and God sends an angel, and the angel Gabriel says, You have found unique favor with God. Shocking. How does someone as ordinary, even someone as lowly as Mary, get to the place of being honored by God? As we continue through her story this morning, I'm going to point out as we go along five characteristics about Mary. Five things that make her stand out and stand out favorably before God. And in the process, I hope we'll discover there's some good news for you and for me here. Because while we are at best, most of us just ordinary and many of us lowly, there's good news here. Because these characteristics are within our reach. Let's face it, most of us will never be smart enough, educated enough, talented enough you know, we'll, we'll never be athletic enough, we'll never be rich enough, whatever it is, to measure up in the world standards of being somebody. But God's values are different than the world around us. And being lowly in this world doesn't mean being insignificant with God. And that's good news. These five characteristics, which I'll point out as we go along this morning, which Mary exemplifies for us here in this text, they are characteristics that God values and that God honors. We pick up our story again in verse 31. Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The first characteristic of Mary I want to note this morning is that Mary, Mary was morally pure. Oh, I skipped a little slide here. I forgot to say that uh, Nazareth got particular scorn from folks uh, down in the south. You might recall Philip saying this to uh, uh, later on in the Gospel of John chapter 1. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's where Mary came from. Sorry, I skipped that. Here we go. Mary was morally pure. We see in verse 27, then again in verse 34, it, it calls attention to the fact that she was a virgin. She was sexually pure, had not had relations with the man. And part of the reason for Mary being chosen for this birth exactly had to do with her, uh, with her sexual purity here and the fact that she is a virgin. Now, while we are saying that Mary is morally pure, what we are not saying is that Mary was perfect, that Mary was sinless. Unfortunately, there are some folks who say that and think that and believe that, but that is not at all scriptural. It's not here in the Bible. We see in verse 47, we'll be there in just a few minutes, that Mary, like us, was a sinner who needs a Savior. But Mary, I think it is safe to say, was like Zechariah and Elizabeth earlier in the chapter who are noted for the fact that they lived godly, that they lived circumspectly, that they lived honorably to please God. And I think we could say the same thing of Mary. See, that's significant for you and me to know because the Bible does tell us that sin in our lives can sometimes prevent us from being used by God for certain purposes. Certainly, we are all saved by grace. Our sins are forgiven by, God, by God's grace, and God will forgive our sins when we, as we trust in Christ. But... Some sin can prevent us from being used by God in some circumstances. We see that over in the book of 2 Timothy as Paul writes to Timothy. And he's using the analogy of a house, a big house. And he says, every wealthy house, you've got your fine china and then you've got your everyday stuff. And for many of us, we not only have the everyday stuff, you got the stuff that you, you know, use out in the garden to dig around in the dirt. And he says, he goes on and says, so... Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. He's saying that in God's house, as God's people, we need to be like, we want to be like China in our house. We want to be the stuff that, that God pulls off the shelf when he has China work to do rather than to be the stuff that you use to hold the, you know, the dirt out in the garden. That's the point. 
Gabriel tells Mary some amazing news here. He tells her she will become pregnant and give birth to a son, but not just to any son. You're to name him Jesus. Yahweh saves. He will be her son, yet also be the son of the Most High. He will be both God and man, human and deity. Not only that, he will be the long-awaited Messiah. He will reign on David's throne, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This news is breathtaking on so many levels. We could spend so much time unpacking all of those, but this is just amazing news. But strikingly, Mary hears all that and she has but one question. Again, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. We would probably all understand if Mary had lots of questions. Lots of worries. Lots of concerns. Lots of objections. Why me? <laughs> when? Who's going to believe this? What am I going to tell my parents? What am I going to tell Joseph? All these things. How do you raise a Messiah anyway? I don't think there's any books in the library on that. But she only has one question. And unlike Zechariah last week, who when the angel went to talk to him, he had a question too, but his question was, how can I really be sure this is going to happen, in essence, is what he said. Mary's question here is not one of doubt. She doesn't doubt that God is going to do it. She simply wants to know how. I get biology and this doesn't work. And I'm not married yet. We're betrothed. I'm not married yet. How does this work? The answer simply is it's a God thing. He's going to do it by his power. Because nothing is impossible with him. And by the way, just so you know, your, your relative Elizabeth, that old lady who was called barren, <laughs> she's having a baby. Just as a little encouragement to you that nothing is impossible with God. Mary's response, verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Here's the second significant characteristic I note in Mary. That is that Mary's heart was submitted to God. Instead of raising any other questions 
or any objections or any qualifications or any caveats. You ever do that with God when you know he wants you to do something and you just have all kinds of little, okay, I'll do that if. <laughs> Instead of any of that, Mary simply says, I am God's servant. Literally, I am God's slave. Let it be to me as he says, as he desires. No complaints, no reservations, simply willing submission. Whatever God wants, I want. I marvel at that because I struggle with that often. Maybe you do too. Submission to God is a choice and any of us can choose to do that. Do we trust him enough to dare to do it? Mary's heart was submitted to God. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is, how blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So it tells us that very quickly after Elizabeth's visit, excuse me, after Gabriel's visit to Mary, Mary hurries and she makes the journey some 70 miles to where Elizabeth lives. And it says, as she came to the door and she calls out, Elizabeth. And of course, she couldn't phone because they didn't have phones. They didn't even have smoke signals that would reach 70 miles. Elizabeth doesn't know she's coming. But she calls out, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, as soon as that voice rings through the house, <laughs> the baby jumps in her womb for joy. And Elizabeth comes out, and God gives Mary a little gift here. Mary doesn't have the opportunity to say anything. She doesn't have to explain anything. You know how girls are, oh, Elizabeth. She doesn't get to do that. She just, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth comes out. Elizabeth already knows. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be the Messiah. It's my Lord. God has revealed it to her. What a blessed gift. Elizabeth, Mary doesn't have to, to explain. It, these two just simply enjoy and, and rejoice together in their miraculous pregnancies. 
The third notable characteristic I see in Mary is this, that she has a mind that is filled with the Word of God. Mary knew and loved God's Word. And how do I know that? How do we know that? Well, we know it from the next verses, verses 46 to 55. Mary's response after Elizabeth finally settles down from from all of her excitement, Mary's response is that song we've been leading up to, the Magnificat. It's a song that likely she has composed over the last three to five days as she has been walking this 70 miles through the countryside, up and down hills, continually going up from lower land up to the hill country of Judea. A difficult journey for this young gal. But along the way, apparently, she has been writing this song in her mind and singing it all along the way, looking for some way to capture in words what is uncapturable in words, how she feels. Those of you who are artistic understand that that sometimes there's just no way to say things in in normal words. You have to do it creatively. You have to do it in, in song. You have to do it in poetry. You have to do it in art to express what you feel. And that's what Mary has done. It's fascinating to study this little song written by this young teenage girl. And what we discover is that it overflows with quotations and allusions to Old Testament scriptures. It is just loaded. It's a great study sometime to do. Particularly, she draws from the prayer of Hannah. You recall back in 1 Samuel, who cried before the Lord because she was childless and she wanted so badly to have a baby. She draws from Hannah's prayer. She draws from the Psalms. She draws from all all the Old Testament. And weaves it together to pour out her heart. Mary's song is a testament both to her heart and also to her upbringing. Because she's obviously heard God's word a lot. She's heard it in the synagogue their version of church. She's heard it in Sabbath school for, you know, where the kids would sit around and learn God's word. She's heard it around the dinner table at home. She's heard it in family worship. But she obviously wasn't doing as many of us often do. She wasn't just listening passively, half-heartedly. She wasn't listening half asleep and mostly bored. No, throughout her young life, she's been paying careful attention, listening intently, not just hearing God's word, but carefully thinking about it and thinking it through, memorizing it. See, we have to remember that, I don't know why this thing keeps falling. I'm going to mess with it one time real good here. Okay, there we go. You have to understand that back in that time, they didn't have, she didn't have, 
you know, ten copies of the printed scriptures back in her room in three different translations and then have it on her computer and on her tablet and on her phone and have it not only in print but in audio so she can listen to it. She had to simply listen carefully in synagogue. She had to listen carefully when there were classes and as others were talking about God's word and she had to, to listen carefully and put it to heart. And now, in this very critical time of her life, when the pressure is on and the screws are tightening down, what squeezes out of her is the Word of God. And what we discover is that this young Mary is far from, far from simple. She is far from shallow. Her words depict great wisdom and understanding and grace well beyond her years. And the Word of God will do that if we pay attention to it and learn it. David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I wonder what spills out of you, what spills out of me when the pressures of life start to bear down, when the screws start to get turned, when the heat starts to rise. What comes oozing out of us? Is it the Word of God? We can hope. <laughs> How will that happen? David was described as a man after God's own heart. God himself said of David that he was a man after his own heart. And David said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I submit that what oozes out from those upon whom God looks with great favor, with great pleasure, what oozes out from those folks in the times when the pressure is on is the word of God. And so brothers and sisters, young people, young men, young women, if we want to be those folks whom God looks upon with favor, those folks who bring him great pleasure, then we need to feed ourselves, we need to immerse ourselves in God's word. Again, any of us can do this if we simply will. Let's move on quickly through Mary's song here. I want to note a fourth characteristic that makes her stand out. Verse 46. And Mary said, she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. The fourth characteristic I note of Mary is that she has a spirit of humility. She is humble. 
even as God is honoring Mary, Mary isn't, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's overwhelmed with her own lack of worth, her own inadequacies, her own sinfulness and failures. And she is in awe of the worthiness of God and the grace of God. She praises God for his grace towards her. And Mary wants us, as she writes this song, to look past her and to see the goodness of God. She doesn't say, from now on, everyone is going to call me exalted. From now on, everyone is going to call me wonderful. From now on, everyone will call me, you know, what does she say? Everyone will call me blessed. Blessed means graced. You see, everyone's going to say, wow, wasn't God good to her? Because she didn't deserve it. That's what Mary says. Everyone's going to marvel that God would bless such a young, lowly girl. By the way, as I mentioned earlier, note that Mary says in, there in verse, verse 47, My spirit rejoices in God my, what? Savior. How do we know Mary was a sinner? Well, several things, but this one right here. You don't need a savior if you're not a sinner. Mary understands that she needed a savior just like you and I do. And that that's why Jesus came. John 3.16, Jesus will later say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Mary was saved in the same way that you and I can be saved through God's grace by trusting, receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. By the way, this morning, if you have yet to do that, it's God's invitation to you this morning. Here sitting in a pew or sitting at home in your, in your lazy boy, God extends an invitation to you to be rescued from your sin by trusting the Savior that He sent. Believe in Him. Mary goes on in the song, verses 50 to 53, to sing three examples of how God loves to take up for, how He, he loves to, to lift up the lowly, how He loves to take care of the underdog, the humble, but He opposes the haughty, the proud, Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. When we come to God hungry, when we come to God desperate, we say, God, I need you. I need a Savior. He doesn't turn us away. Finally, she concludes her song with praise for God's grace toward the lowly nation of Israel. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Israel right now is under the thumb of Rome. They are, they are just a little country that is, has been scattered about and downtrodden. They're, they're oppressed. They're looked down upon. 
And they're there because they have been unfaithful to God. And Mary says, but. But you see, God is remembering the promises he made over two millennia ago to Abraham. And about a thousand years before to David. And God is being faithful right now to his people who were unfaithful to him, but he is faithful to them. He's now fulfilling the promises as he sends the Messiah in her baby. (laughs) The great message of her song is this. God has worked with me, lowly Mary, in the same way that God will work with the lowly who come humbly to him in the same way he is working with lowly Israel when they in their distress call upon God. God delights to show mercy to the lowly and the humble. As Peter will later write, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. One final characteristic about Mary that I want to note. I find it in our last verse for this morning, verse 56. Look at it. It says, And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. It wasn't until this week as I was studying this verse, this, this passage, that this little phrase jumped out at me for the first time. I'd really never paid attention That little phrase, Mary returned to her home. Think about that for just a moment. It's easy, so easy to skip past that. Mary now, it's three months from when Gabriel first came to her. She is visibly pregnant. She left immediately after Gabriel spoke with her. I I don't know this for a fact, but... I'm reading between the lines. I think that Mary left town before she told anybody. Maybe she told her parents. Maybe she told Joseph, but I kind of doubt it. I think she just got this and she's overwhelmed and she just hits the road for the one person who might understand. And by God's grace, she was the right person. (laughs) But now, it's time to face the music. It's time to go home. Even if she's already told a few, going home is going to be tough. Going home means facing Joseph and possibly being rejected by him and the marriage plans called off and all the humiliation of that. Going home means facing mom and dad, possibly telling them for the first time, here's what's going on. And... Dealing with all that. Going home means facing a community and all the gossip and the wagging tongues that are going to go on as soon as she is first spotted coming into town. (gasps) She's pregnant. How tempting I think it might have been for her to stay with Elizabeth and John, the only two people in the world who really Know and believe this baby is a virgin birth, a miracle of God. 
and she's burying the Messiah. See, when I thought about that for a moment, I thought, if I marry, I want to stay in, I want to stay in the hill country of Judea <laughs> till this baby's born and we'll figure it all out later. But how easy it would have been to stay. What I realized is that Mary had courageous faith. I don't think there's another word to describe what it took for this little 13, 14, 15-year-old girl to walk back into Nazareth, pregnant, and have to face all these things. Why would she do that? Only because she believes and trusts that the God who is big enough to implant a baby in a virgin, <laughs> to impregnate her with his power, and who is committing to her, entrusting to her, to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. The God who does that will take care of her. It's courageous faith to step out and to step into the unknown and the difficult. We've read Mary's song. Let's take a few moments. Let's listen to it.
Please don't forget that in God's economy, lowly does not mean insignificant. God offers significance even to the lowly, and he transforms ordinary life into extraordinary. Not always on the outside, but where it really matters on the inside. The kind of life that is favored by God. It begins with humbly receiving God's grace of salvation through Jesus Christ. It grows as we immerse ourselves in his word. It blossoms as we yield, as we submit ourselves to him. And it shines brightly as we live holy lives. And we, live, and we courageously follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for looking down upon us with eyes of love. As David wrote in Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visited him. Father, why did you love us so much that you, you sent Jesus to rescue us, to die in our place? We will never understand that, but we are so grateful that you did. And that you love us and you desire to make our lives significant, to enable us to live lives that make an impact for eternity, to lay up treasure in heaven. Lord, God calls us to look at life differently, to look at ourselves differently, to look at you differently, to look at life through the lens of your word, to learn it well, to build our lives upon your truth. May we then submit to you, yield to you, and may we live courageously and follow you live lives that are holy, that bring you great honor. We ask this in Jesus.